Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Why does anybody care what Shohei Otani's marketing, you know, income is, or or if they are, if if this guy is hitting the ball like a like a colossus, which he is. If he's doing the things that he's doing on the on the field, it's unclear to me why exactly that matters. Otani doesn't need to make sure that we can under like that we are easily digesting what he has to do. He's going out there and he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's being baseball's most marketable star. He's knocking balls out the park left and right. He's a generational talent and we're just not used to that. Game five of the NBA Finals is in the books, and Milwaukee has suddenly made what seems like a momentum change in this series against the Suns. Jason, Phoenix started out hot, taking a 16-point lead in the first quarter, and then out of nowhere, like a deer that ran across the highway, the Bucs (laughs) took control of the game and finished with a defensive showcase from Drew Holiday, which a lot of players in the league obviously know about Drew Holiday's capabilities, yep. but now we're seeing it on the larger scale. How do we feel about this, Jason? What are your thoughts of Game 5? Well, this is why they got Drew Holiday. This is why they splashed all the draft picks to get Drew Holiday. This, that game that you just saw, was, Drew has been erratic, I think you could say, like over the postseason Earlier, uh, games one and two, it's like, where's the scoring? What are these some of these decisions that Drew is making? But he's always brought it defensively. He's just like a physical, he's incredibly strong, uh, and he plays with force. And I think the thing that we're seeing happen is even when he wasn't making shots earlier in the series, when he'd, when he'd uh, get to the rim and Aiton would be there and he'd miss, and then the rest of his game wasn't coming together offensively, He's defensively, he's just always there. You're not, he's always in Chris Paul's space. He's always in whoever he's guarding space. There's never a moment where you have a break from Drew. And now on the offensive end, all those uh, moments when Drew is ramming his shoulder into a defender's chest and bullying them under the rim are starting to add up. I think it's, I think it's telling in uh, Chris Paul's play. And all of a sudden, the offense came came together too, and guess what? The the Bucks are in control of this series. I picked the Suns in seven, but I also said I think that the first team the, to win a road game will win the series. And yep. So I, you know, shouts to the Bucks on the verge of doing it. What do you think? What do you think swung this series? You know, there's a lot of things that I think swung this series, but everyone knows that pivotal game five is a big deal. You know, and I need to state an apology. To the Milwaukee Bucks <laughs> right now, just because, like, I honestly, X's and O's, and when I break down things, I look at, all right, if everyone does exactly what they're supposed to do, or if everyone does their role, how will the game break down? Just to give you a thought process. And on paper, if you break down the Phoenix Suns on paper as opposed to the Milwaukee Bucks, on paper, it looks like the Phoenix Suns should be the clear victor in this and and go on to win a championship. For a couple of games, it looked like that. But you got to give so much credit to Milwaukee, the coaching staff, the players, because there's always the what things should look like and what is going to happen, but the players can always change that. You know, how somebody plays a monster game, great defense from Drew Holiday that now when you expect a certain thing to happen from Chris Paul – well, Drew Holiday is like, yeah, but wait a minute, I'm a defender. So what you expected out of Chris Paul, you might not get. And that's exactly what's happening in this series. And so it's just interesting to see because, you know, there's a lot of talk about Chris Paul and his story. 16 years, never made it. But there's other guys on Milwaukee's like, wait a minute now, we haven't yeah. gotten a championship either. So this is just, I mean... This was a series that we didn't expect to be like this, but I'm so thankful. I always want game seven of seven. Like, we always want that as fans, and it looks like we might get it. Devin Booker has been unbelievable. He played, what is it, 42 minutes uh, in game five, 39 minutes in game four, and they need 
every single second of those minutes because they're getting absolutely crushed when he's not on the floor. And yep. part of that is, you know, Chris Paul. I mean, there's been some uh, people are wondering about his wrist. He seems to be flexing it at times. I'll just say this, like six turnovers in game two, four turnovers in game three, five turnovers in game uh, four. That was a game where he scored only 10 points. Uh he, he bounced back offensively in game five, but it still feels like there's a there's just a gear missing. And Booker is is ably uh, shouldering the burden, but they just need they just need something else. Like if Chris Paul is is going to play 80 percent of Chris Paul ceiling, they're just not going to win. And Aiton, you know, now all of a sudden that really incredible clip of Monty talking yeah. to DeAndre where he's like listen you got to play with force i need you to i need you to be a presence i'm paraphrasing of course but like that really incredible moment is it all of a sudden has a lot more meaning because giannis is devastating them yeah. in the paint like de the destroying paint. them devastating them and they need DeAndre Ayton not just defensively where he's i think made grown leaps and bounds it, not just defensively, but all over the court in his career in this postseason. They need him to play with that force that Monty was asking for. They need him to they need him to get uh they need him to draw fouls on Giannis. They need him to draw fouls yeah. on on Brooke Lopez. They need him to to be a real difference maker down there. And I just think that he's a young player and I don't think he's ready for it. So six free throws uh, in game five, in 45 minutes. Okay. Uh, zero free throws in game four and two free throws in game three. He's He's got to draw fouls. He's got to be like, I'm going to lay it up or I'm going to get fouled. He's a 70 plus percent free throw shooter, almost 80. And he's just, he's got to make an impact there. And I think that's a part of his development that's just not just not ready for prime time yet but they need it they need it so desperately yeah you know like you know going so in game five because you talked about those six f free throws in game five we know that game five winners of a tied series have won the series 21 out of 29 times in the nba's finals and when we talk about moving and bending a series DeAndre Ayton is huge. I remember in it was either game three or game four, DeAndre Ayton was in a lot of foul trouble, couldn't play his menace, and yep. that's when the points in the paint started to pile on. Yep. And then that's when Milwaukee saw that they had something there in the paint, yep. and then they just started doing it whether DeAndre Ayton was in the game or not. It almost just decided to start to seem like they recognize that he might not be ready for that level of physicality. Yeah. Look, the same way we saw Monty Williams talking to DeAndre Ayton, so did the Milwaukee coaching staff. So does the Milwaukee That's players. That's a great point. They see That's everything that point. we see. So if they see somebody that has to be getting lifted up and picked up by their teammates, which we've all seen, not only Monty, but teammates talking to DeAndre Ayton, they put a target on his back. And Milwaukee is going at the, Giannis is going to the rim as if there's no one in there and he doesn't care. No regard for human life under there. And, I mean, we're oh all seeing God. why. DeAndre Ayton has to figure it out because the more we see people giving him pep talks and while great the pep talks are, as a competitor, if I see somebody getting all these pep talks, I'm like, yo, we got to go at this guy. Like, he's not where he is. Let me ask you that because famously uh... – Several finals ago, the Golden State Warriors got mad at a at a moment when Steve Kerr was talking to Steph Curry on the bench, and then they that got uh, played up. And now the coaches and the teams, I think, have some ability to veto it, to be like, don't share that. Hmm. Do you think retroactively the Suns are like, man, we shouldn't have, shouldn't have put that one out there? I think that they know it's not the best thing. I mean, like, like I said – Everyone knows in sports, even when it comes to like people that are just straight up sports betters, they want to know every single thing that happened that day that the person makes shots and shoot mm -hmm. around. Like it goes down to that extreme in sports where you're trying to find just a little edge. So if you're looking for a little edge and you're rewatching the game and you see, you know, even DeAndre Ayton's body language as people are talking to him and you just see that his teammates, his coaching staff, they're trying to lift him up. That's an edge. And so as a competitor, you're going to be like, huh, well, let's see if we can test this guy then. Let's test and see, is he built for this? And it's not to say that he is or isn't. We know he's young, but 
if you're the Bucks, you don't care how young he is. You're like, that's yeah, fine. You know, we're gonna have to. We're gonna. He gonna have to grow up today. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. And you know that's that's the thing that you, when you mentioned, you know, looking at this series on paper, and I think you're exactly right in that. Looking at these two teams, it seemed obvious where the weaknesses that the Bucks had uh, could be exploited by the Suns, right? Backcourt, uh, pick and roll coverage. Chris Paul making all the when he gets the ball gets a switch or just has his man and can make all the right decisions same thing with Booker the way they can pick apart uh, a, a defense from the perimeter with Dario Saric out all of a sudden there the Suns are very thin in the middle and now all of a sudden there's that hole to exploit here's Giannis at the rim last four <laughs> games 9 of 10 14 of 15, 9 of 12, 9 of 12. I mean, he is just wrecking wrecking them. So, Jason, I have a question, though. So why is Giannis's free throws no longer an issue, in your opinion? That's a a great question. I think a part of it is, listen, he missed three down the stretch. Yeah, and no one's talking (laughs) about it. No one cares. (laughs) No one cares. Monty iced him, which I tweeted was like throwing ice on ice because he's already already freezing cold. There's no need to ice him. Uh, But I think that it's a, I think it's a couple things. The Bucks have figured out their Kobe Shaq. You know what I mean? Like, Yep. There have been a ton of comparisons of, of Giannis to uh, Shaq's numbers uh, in the way that they both did all their damage down low and were not strong free throw shooters. Um, they've kind of figured out how to use Giannis's uh, impact down low to, to, to spray to the corners, to spray to shooters, to open up things for everyone else. And now it's a smooth transition when it's Chris Middleton time. Like it just, they, they have that chemistry now and they're able to go to other ball handlers. You know, they went uh, one of the great plays, I think, in finals uh, history now is going to be Drew's steal, throw it to Giannis for the dunk. Um, But they're getting, you know, there's a school of thought where you could say, oh, that was a bad decision, you know, because like Giannis is going to miss the free throw. What if he didn't make the the dunk? You know, Drew should have kept. But like they're, they're making decisions and doing things to mitigate Giannis's lack of ability to convert on free throws. And the rest of the team is is rising to meet him. Middleton's playing well. Drew's crushing it. Connaughton is is every shot he hits feels like they needed that shot from Pat yeah. Connaughton. And he's doing it. No, you know, I agree. It's interesting because I think, you know, no one knows their weakness more than the person who has that weakness. So like you start to learn to cover it up. The Milwaukee Bucks have been playing with Giannis and knowing that he's not necessarily an outside shooter for some years now. So they've learned how to play with it, what risks to take. I don't even think it's a risk to throw up that oop to Giannis. I think that if you don't throw that to Giannis, you're crazy. But they're making the right basketball plays. Like you can just see now they're just making the right basketball plays. That Mm -hmm. was the right play. Ended up with a dunk and one. If he did get fouled and missed both free throws, at the, at this point, like I said, they're not the Suns aren't necessarily converting on the mistakes. They're not capitalizing on they're three not. missed free throws down the stretch. You have to come down. You have to make sure you score on that. And so having said all of that, finals MVP, I've seen so many discussions. Is it Chris Middleton, who, as we know, has carried the team in a <laughs> lot of the tough stretches? Even Giannis has talked about it outwardly. Or is it Giannis who's had those monster 40-point games maybe not carrying the load down the stretch. Who are you giving it to? Finals MVP. It's got to be Giannis. Unless Chris Middleton does just absolutely scorches the surface of the earth in the next two games, right? You've got the two 40-port games. You've got two plays from Giannis that will live forever in finals history. The game-changing block block on Aiton that was like, again, it's wild to me that this guy's leg bent 15 degrees the wrong way two weeks ago. You know what I mean? Like telling you modern medicine. That is crazy. It is nuts that that happened. And he's looked gassed at different times throughout the series, but that he was able to do that two weeks after seeming like maybe his season was on the line is incredible. And then that (laughs) the, the lob and the alley-oop, we're going to be seeing that forever. It's, it's just, uh, I, he, it has to be him. What do you think? 
So I I personally think to win finals MVP, if you're not the superstar of the team, you have to do something extraordinary. Like, I don't know if 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 I don't know if the Milwaukee Bucks would be in the finals without Chris Middleton because as we know, Giannis I, yeah, got hurt. Not, you yeah. said his knee his knee bent the opposite way. Chris Middleton single-handedly carried that team on his back. And on top of that, we've seen stretches in this final where he scored 10 of the points straight in the fourth quarter that kept them afloat. So, like, are we talking stats? Or are we talking – I I know that it's going to have to be Giannis, but it's so tough because even Giannis himself – you know, down the stretch, your go-to guy is Chris Middleton. We, yeah. we know that. Here's a crazy stat. Steph Curry's zero finals MVPs. I mean, that, that when you talk about political, I, you know, Andre Iguodala won the, the 2015 one. And then KD won the other two, which, okay. Yeah. Uh, he, but th- you know what? A lot of people, if they ask who was the superstar on that team, that Steph. would be a great debate, too. Yeah, is it Steph yeah. or is it KD? I think your answer tells us who <laughs> maybe fan bases. I'm just like, and look, this is not me saying it, but the finals MVP typically follows a star, you know, of, yeah. of, of whoever the team is. And and I've seen stars not necessarily have the most amazing finals, but their finals MVP. So Steph Curry. Iguodala. Listen, Iguodala was great. Iguodala yeah. uh, finals MVP as well. I, I'll just say, I think that, we're seeing in this finals how unprepared kind of like sports media and people yeah. who watch sports, how unprepared we are to talk about things uh, that go outside of uh, our experience. You know, Coach yeah. Bud, we killed him his entire career through the Hawks <laughs> to now we have killed him. The guy can't make adjustments. He keeps getting run off the court. Yada, yada, yada. We were killing him earlier in the series. We were killing him earlier in the postseason. He's he's pushing the buttons right now. And of course, nobody, we're not really talking about it. There's a lot of other stuff to talk about, of course. But like, uh, we're not talking about Coach Bud uh, exploiting the the Bucks size. We're not talking about like uh, the smart way he's using uh, the Middleton uh, Giannis pick and roll. All of a sudden, we're yep. not we're not we're not talking about this stuff. And so. Uh, it's it's the same way in in that uh, we talk about Giannis and we're we're unprepared to talk about a two time MVP who is not the closer down the stretch, um, but I think that all of which is to say this is really cool. We're seeing something that yeah. is happening in a way that's a, that's that's different than the way that we usually see it, and I think that's okay. Real really quick cool. though, real quick though, if the Suns end up winning, who's your who's your Finals MVP for them? That book. Okay. I, yeah. Gotta I just, be book. He's been carrying, you know, like Chris Paul is, I think there will be a lot of pressure to have it be Chris Paul. Yes. But, but, <laughs> there will be, uh, listen, LeBron James <laughs> did not show up courtside with an, an open bottle of tequila to and see Devin Booker. And he let us know. He said, I'm here for Chris Paul, baby. Yes. Like, that's what I'm saying. He, he let came. us know. <laughs> he did not come for DeAndre Aiden. He did not come for Devin Booker. He came for Chris. Oh, so wow. yeah. uh, to your point about politics, there will be a lot of political pressure to give it to Chris Paul. Um, but I think that it's I think that it's at this point, it's Booker. What do you think? I also agree that, boy, is it going to be hard to pry those <laughs> that finals MVP trophy away from Chris Paul. I mean, the whole storyline has been about Chris Paul getting his first one after 16 years, and that shouldn't necessarily matter, but I know it does. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. 
follow your crave. Last week, some comments about baseball star Shohei Otani, who's just my idol right now, caused a controversy while on first take, Stephen A. Smith made the claim that the Japanese-born pitcher and hitter's use of interpreter hurts his ability to connect, to capture an American audience. Uh, We should note that he has since apologized for these comments and that he was referring to the markability and promotion of the sport. But let's also note that according to Forbes, Otani is, despite Stephen A's comments, one of baseball's most marketable stars. He uh, has $6 million in endorsements here stateside, $10 million uh, in Japan and internationally. That is more than Bryce Harper or Chris Bryant. Uh, Renee, what do you make of the idea that international players playing in America are not marketable if they can't speak English? I think that that's very old school. I feel like, you know, we think of traditional marketing and I think that's probably what Stephen A was referring to in a sense of, Mm -hmm. you know, traditional marketing is I have a product, I hold it here and I say, try Bolt 24. I love the product. It's great for me. And that's, yeah. And then that's how you get the check and that's how you continue to, to sell a product. But as we see with this digital age, there's so much you can do now. You know, you could do a uh, illustration or an animation of, of Otani now endorsing a product. You know, like you could have captions on a text of, yeah. of him promote. Like there's so many different ways now to get around a language barrier on the, in this digital age with just the creativity that we do with digital marketing that I just think that that's old school to think that you have to be able to articulate verbally that you endorse a product, you know, like, I think that that's old school. And I think Stephen A realized that very quickly when he made yes, the he statement for, for people that don't know, he said, when you talk about an audience gravitating to the tube or to the ballpark, I don't think it helps that the number one face is a dude that needs an interpreter. Now, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, like I said, a few hours later too, he tried to yeah. clarify his comments saying he was just talking about the marketability and promotion of the sport we later know he came out with a full-blown apology online, another apology on first take. But I think that, you know, journalists have to really adjust with the times. The times are changing and and the way things are done, process are changing and the journalists got to keep up. What are, what are your thoughts? I think that on for one, I'm glad Stephen made the apology and I'm glad that he clarified that he was talking about markability and the promotion of the sport. I also think that these kind of conversations about notable people, celebs or anyone uh, speaking English, doing things to uh, to more, you know, smoothly and efficiently uh, appear to be part of mainstream society are often like code for something else i i guess like the thing that i thought about was like why does anybody care what shohei otani's marketing you know income is or or if they are is if this guy is hitting the ball like a like a colossus which he is if he's doing the things that he's doing on the on the field it's unclear to me why exactly that matters except that Stephen A. and other people who might complain about this are maybe not so concerned with the health of and marketability and uh, visibility of America's pastime and are more just kind of annoyed that they can't directly ask Shohei Otani a, a question or have to go through somebody or just annoyed in general that someone is here and not speaking English and succeeding like it's I I always I remember the first time my my parents were like uh, oh yeah we were when they were growing up in the Philippines they're like yeah we loved the Beatles and I was like wow that's so crazy that you grew up in another country and you're you the music that you were listening to was English music and it's the same thing now like you you watch television from Europe or from anywhere and um, you will see American hip hop, uh, American music, you'll see American stars selling stuff. And I think we've I think we've just become so used to um, 
being the pop culture center of the entire globe. Our stars are the world's stars. Our music is the world's music. Everybody watches our movies. That I think that it's jarring now when somebody comes from outside that and is not like trying to integrate in the way that we expect because we just expect like oh our culture goes all around the world and why wouldn't you learn english why wouldn't yeah. why wouldn't you do that stuff it's it's just to get very um american centric perspective that I understand why Steven feels that way because it's, you know, that's the way the world has been for several decades, but it's just, it's not the way the world is now to your point. What do you think? Yeah. And you know, I think, I think too, we know that certain things transcend cultures. So music, you talked about it. You can hear a song. I can hear a song from BTS and I can yeah. like think it's lit no matter if you know what they're saying or if you don't. And it's the same for our hip hop culture in other countries. Mm-hmm. They might they might know a whole rap song and not know any English. I've had teammates. So I played overseas for 10 years. I've had teammates in the locker room. They can rap bar for bar with me on Jay-Z lyrics, anything. But then afterwards, you know, their English might be a little broken. But, you know, that experience going overseas for me, it was so vital because there's obviously this stereotype that Americans are arrogant and different mm-hmm. things of that nature. And there's we are spoiled to a certain extent. We are and spoiled, Stephen A. For sure. Yeah. Stephen A is talking about that spoiled American sense that, wait, you're not Americanizing yourself to fit into our culture to make sure that we can digest you easier. No, that's not his that's not his problem. You know, like Otani doesn't need to make sure that we can under like that we are easily digesting what he has to do. He's going out there and he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. He's being baseball's most marketable star. Yeah. He's knocking balls out the park left and right. He's a generational talent and we're just not used to that. We're used to if we want you, you better give us what we want and how we want it. And that's not happening anymore. We see different stars. Even with Naomi Osaka, I watched her documentary. And she talked about there was this this uncomfortableness that when people found out she's playing for the Japanese national team, and she was like, it was never, I was never (laughs) deciding between America and (laughs) Japan. I was always playing for them. But we were all like, she said, basically, the media was like, you're playing for Japan. And she's like, I've played for them always. You know, like, and if you watch the documentary, it's true. She has, but... As Americans, again, we're like, if you had the choice, why wouldn't you pick us? And it's like, we maybe aren't the center point of everyone's life like we thought we were. And maybe we were, but yes. it's changing. Things I, are changing. That's all I'll say. I, Things I are think changing. about the uh, the Dream Team documentary and all the famous clips that we remember of Jordan walking down the Champs-Élysées or, uh, uh, or Barkley and Magic walking around Barcelona and getting mobbed by international fans. That's what we think is normal, right? We think that's normal. Yeah, uh, yeah. Could Michael Jordan speak French? Uh, could Charles Barkley speak Spanish? No. <laughs> right, or Catalonian or any, or no. any of those languages? No. But we are just like, yeah, that's that's the way it should be. We export our stars yeah. and everybody accepts it and they love it and that's great. But if you send your stars here, they better learn to speak English or else there's going to be a problem. And that's, to your point, it's just not, the way the world works anymore and we are now getting a very very small taste of what the rest of the world has has been experiencing with the exporting of america's stars to different markets it's just really interesting and of course you know uh spanish-speaking uh players are a are a huge part of the MLB. This this uh, the comments Stephen A's comments, um, while directed at Shohei and or about um, Shohei, um, clearly pertain to the twenty five percent of opening day rosters in two thousand nineteen that uh, speak uh, Spanish as their first language. Uh, it, it's it's just an old old-minded thinking. It's not the way uh, media works anymore and not the way fame works anymore and not the way sports works anymore. And you know what? I hope that this starts to shift another culture that, you know, like, again, traveling a lot for basketball, I got submerged into so many different cultures. No matter where I went, almost every single person spoke some English. Like I could be in the grocery store and I would be like, cow, moo. And then they were like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. And they would tell me where the beef is in the the grocery store. But like everywhere else in the world makes an effort effort. 
Like just at least, just at least a little effort. Everywhere else in the world makes an effort to learn English baseline, broken English, a certain amount. But Americans, there's a lot of us that we don't know, like not even like, hola, como esta? Like we don't know, you know what I mean? Like we can't count to 10. Yes. We can't do a lot. And I think that says a lot but about The America. rise of, it's only really been in the last several years with the rise of popularity of, of reggaeton and, and uh, Bad Bunny blowing. Reggaeton, baby! Bad Bunny blowing up, like going to multiple parties and or bars and or places where Bad Bunny is playing. And I know for a fact that many of the people there cannot speak Spanish or understand what uh, what Mr. Yeah. Bunny is saying. But that's the only, the, Mr. Mr. Bunny, Bunny, it's only the these last several years where I've really felt like, oh, there is a shift, um, at least to acknowledge the, the, the large population uh, of the American citizenry um, that also speaks Spanish. Um, but we're slowly getting there. We're so have you ever felt when you were playing overseas, did you ever feel like a pressure to like learn Russian, learn uh, anything like that? Uh, da. Yeah, I, I did. That's that's yes in Russian, but I didn't feel a pressure to. I put pressure on myself. Like I wanted to know, like I'm the type and especially too is difficult because being a point guard overseas where your whole job is to communicate and communicate yeah. the plays, communicate what's going on in the game. If I don't know a certain thing, like, you know, like I had to learn to say like divide, Dieka, like, let's go. Like I had to be able to talk to them in their language for certain sports terms because I need to be able to do that on the fly. I don't need them to have to be thinking on the fly like, oh, how do I translate that or what does she mean? So I took it upon myself to learn some things. Um, as a lot of people know, my fiance, mm -hmm. you know, Dominican, she's she's from the Dominican Republic where her, her parent, her mom is, but she was born in New York. But so that's a bilingual family. Like they speak straight up Spanish only in the house a lot of times. So I just, I value multiple languages just because if you've traveled if you've been yes. around the world you start to see how small we are as americans in the sense of there's other cultures other worlds out there and and americans we're kind of like yeah, yeah yeah we know it's out there but <laughs> it's america's where it's at baby like we really have that feeling like yeah yeah yeah, y'all do y'all's thing but when you come here we're americans and it's like i you know just i'm blessed to have been cultured at a young age to know that we should be learning like everyone in America should have a baseline of Spanish. Like, I, I think that that's something that we should have. But, you know, now we're starting to sh see that shift. It's going to happen. We're going to see it more and more. And, you know, like for me, it, like when it comes to, to media, we weren't doing interviews all the time. Like, you know, here for the NBA, it's not necessarily right after every game that we're doing interviews and different things of that nature. But they they did make an effort to make sure that when I did do media, I was comfortable. I had an interpreter and the interpreter was working both ways. Um, a lot of times, too, the actual interviewer would talk to me in English. So, you know, it might be broken English. It might, you know, but I could still understand enough to answer it. So, again, making the effort to try to talk to me in English because they knew that was my first language. I think that that goes like that says a yeah. lot about them because I'm talking to uh, audience that doesn't speak English. Their first language is Russian, but even still, they're talking to me in English. And that just shows how other countries are more apt to cater to maybe a different culture. And again, I know America is that culture that the world kind of understands, watches, whether it's our athletics, our culture, our music. We know that transcends all other countries, but that still doesn't necessarily give us a pass to not try to you know, cater or be understanding to other cultures. I think that's where we kind of drop the ball as Americans. We're spoiled. That's it. We're spoiled. The men's USA basketball team has had a bit of a rocky start losing back-to-back -back exhibition games to Nigeria and then Australia. Props to those yeah, squads, props to them. but they were upset. Yeah, props to those squads because people work a lot on these national teams. Like, this is goals for them, but those were upsets to us nonetheless. Team USA has slightly bounced back after recently defeating Argentina and FIBA top-ranked Spain, which we know is a powerhouse. But Jason, I'm wondering, how much confidence do we have in this Olympic squad? Is gold out of the reach or is it always Operation Gold business as usual? Um, it's going to – we're going to act like it's business as usual. But I <laughs> these, these results – and the closeness of the games uh, versus Argentina versus Spain show you how 
effectively the rest of the world has caught up. We just had a conversation about Shohei Otani and, and international players. The NBA has been pioneering international players, has had international players for decades now. Um, and those players go back to their national teams. They make them stronger. They share the knowledge and experience that they have. A lot of times the coaches uh, of those teams are coaches with NBA experience. And Team USA has a target on their back all the time. And if you want to give them somewhat of a break, the FIBA game is also ref differently. There are slightly different rules. It takes time to get used to that. And, of course, our players have been playing for whatever it is, 14 months, like, straight, nonstop, some of them. So it's yeah. difficult. But all of which is to say, man, I'm I'm a little – I would be worried. You know, like, when we called up <laughs> when we called up JaVale McGee, I was like, uh-oh. Yeah. You know, like, I love – listen, JaVale, yeah. one of the great personalities, obviously comes from from, a, from a basketball lineage – uh, but that was like uh, break glass in case of rim protection emergency. <laughs> you know, they uh, you yeah. would not say that JaVale is one of America's elite basketball players. You would not say that. No, I mean, look, that this is just the facts. If you were naming your top <laughs> yeah. post players in the in, from the United States yeah. of America, JaVel McGee would not be in your top five. You know, he might not be in your top 10, but he's on our Team USA squad. So having said that, you know, this brings up, I'm glad you said, you know, they've been playing for 14 months straight because this brings up a very interesting topic to me. When it comes to women's mm -hmm. basketball, I just alluded to it about how I go overseas every year and people might be wondering, well, how do you do that? I thought you yep. played in the WNBA. I do. And so with women's basketball, we play in the summertime, yep. we play in the WNBA. Then we usually have a two-week break and usually it's two weeks max and you go play in a whole nother season in a whole nother country and you start a brand new six month season. Then you have two weeks and you go back to the WNBA. So it's very interesting to <laughs> me to hear people talk about now with the NBA and the men's players, because yeah, that, that was a short break because of everyone knows the bubble season got the timing off and then they had to start the NBA season pretty quickly. Why is no one talking about this on the women's side? It's a great point. You know, point. like the women, even when it it's comes, a great point. even when it comes to the WNBA, we play year round for ten years straight. I want people to understand this. For ten years straight, I played in the WNBA in the summer. Then I went directly overseas and played and rinsed and repeated for ten years straight. At ten years, I was like, "Whoa, I'm tired. My body's <laughs> tired. I'm going to stop going overseas and I'm only going to play in the WNBA." Then I played one more year in the WNBA, and so when WNBA players, like when I retired at the age of 34, like I played double the amount of seasons that people know about. So if I played 11 seasons in the WNBA, right. I played 22 point. seasons. And so now the men, they had basically one year of our women's <laughs> basketball life. And all we keep hearing about is, what about the guys? They're tired. And so I just had to get that off my chest. That I love it. Yeah, they probably are tired. I'm sure the women's players are tired, too, because, you know, there's not a lot of talk about that. But having said that, not only are the men tired, but we don't necessarily take our best talent because is the Olympics. And maybe I, I'm curious on your thoughts. Where do the Olympics rank on, <sighs> when it comes to NBA players? Because, like, do they care if they get a gold medal, if they get that 200 million? Like, because yeah. we've seen plenty of times that players are like, look, I'm not playing in the Olympics because I got a big contract coming up. It's not that serious. Like, you know, like basically, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it's not that serious enough for me to get a gold as opposed to lose the honor, I mean, lose a contract. So, you know, what are, what are like, what do you think about that whole concept? I think that uh, you make a, you make a good point, like cost benefit analysis, gold medal is not going to put my kids through college. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you're yeah. up, if you're yeah. up, if you're a free agent up for a big contract, if you're a player who's looking to take the next step in their career, uh, in terms of uh, developing their game, you probably think twice about going. If you're a player who, you know, has injury concerns as part of uh, as part of their uh, you know career load management. You might think about not going. And then if you're just like, listen, we came close this year uh, in terms of uh, what we did 
in the postseason. I want to take that next step. I want to dedicate myself to my game. Then you probably wouldn't go. I mean, listen, it it's an interesting thing, right? Because I, I isn't that supposed to be the most prestigious weirdly, honor to win an Olympic I weirdly, gold? I weirdly but, feel like at this point, post Dream Team, right? Thirty years after the Dream Team, we weirdly care about the Olympics more if we lose, like as a country. And I'm talking specifically about basketball. If we win, it's, yeah, we're the best in the world. We have LeBron. LeBron's 100%. out there. But, you know, we have uh, KD is there. Lillard is there. Uh, Draymond Greed is there. Uh, Bam Adebayo is there. We have the best players in the world. We used to send our kids and dominate the world. We used to send our college kids and they would beat the pro. Like, yeah. so yeah. I, I really think that we we care when we lose and we don't care that much when we win because when we win, it was like, yeah, we were supposed to win. So it's this weird, it's a weird thing. 100%. And you know, so here's the thing, like the world is catching up. I don't know if anyone's paying attention, but the world is catching up to the United States of America. You can call it complacency. You can just call it leveling the playing field. That's how things happen. But to your point, Jason, yeah, we could have sent our A, B, and C squad, and we would have came back with gold, silver, and bronze. Like, we we, we could have done that before. I mean, even on the women's side, you know, we've talked about that in a sense of Team WNBA mm-hmm. just beat Team USA in the WNBA All-Star that just happened last week that I just came from. And even having said that, I'm not necessarily too concerned about Team USA because we've always thought that we had enough good players that we could send two teams to the Olympics. But now when our Team USAs are getting beat by these other countries, then it starts to make you raise an eyebrow that, yeah, maybe we're not head and shoulders above like we thought before. Maybe we do need our best guys. I I mean, even though when you go down the men's roster, I'm just looking at the men's team, Bam Adebayo, Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, whom Pop had to beg to play. Literally, on hands hands and knees. (laughs) On hands and knees. Google it. They had to beg Kevin Durant to play Jeremy Grant, Draymond Green, Drew Holiday, as we see. We talked about he's an emerging star in a sense of a lot of people are now seeing what he can do on the big stage. Zach Levine, Dame Tom, Chris Middleton, Jason Tatum. Those are all great players, you know. And another thing about the NBA is a lot of the top NBA players are international players now, as we're seeing. We're finding that out quickly. But if you look at that list, you're not going to say that's our top Mm -mm. players in in America. You're just not. Yes, there's some of them, but are we good enough anymore not to send our top? I think that we kind of on the on the men's side, on the women's side, our top players want to go. People yeah. are fighting to go. Everybody wants that honor, that prestige. It's not a money thing. And again, maybe because the WNBA doesn't make as much as the NBA. I acknowledge that, but there's that for the honor that still happens on the women's side. But on the men's side, it's like, oh yeah, I'll go get me a gold and I'm done. It's not like, oh, I'm going to get me a gold I'm going to repeat it. It's not that kind of vibe on the men's side, but I'm curious when it's going to switch back. Is losing in the Olympics going to take losing to us to get back? Operation Gold? Like, I just don't know. I I think it will take losing. Losing is always a big deal in international basketball for Team USA. Again, much a, a much bigger deal than winning the 1992 Dream Team aside. But even that team was a reaction to the bronze medal in 88, uh, you know, David Robinson, Dan Marley coached by John Thompson. I, that yep. the reason we did away with the, with uh, the rule about sending our college amateurs was because we lost. Uh, so all of which is to say, and this is like spin, obviously wh- I think it's time to respect the strides that yes. uh, the rest of the globe have has made in this game that Americans uh, invented. I mean, Dr. Naismith was Canadian, but he invented it here in America, and <laughs> and uh, and and it's time to appreciate that. You know, like uh, Luka Doncic uh, is one of our is is a person in our league in the NBA who will win at least an MVP award and. That's a person that is uh, the latest evolution of international basketball player uh, playing in the NBA. Like the, the world has gotten yeah. a lot better. And 
more specifically, it used to be that um, athletically we could just dominate too, right? But the rest of the world, what the rest of the world has done is they've developed their skills around the way they play and what they bring to the court. No one would say that Luka Doncic, Luka Doncic is, is huge, a big guy and very strong. No one would say that he he's blowing you off the court with his athleticism, but it's the, it's no. the, uh, how he has refined his skills and the, and the, and the international players have figured out how to make that leap. And they are teaching their, uh, they, their, their fellow country people how to do that as well. And the fact that they are appearing in the NBA is in and of itself uh, a testament to how those national programs are evolving and improving. The world is just better now. Wake up, America. Wake up. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to Take Survivor, the game in which only the strongest take wins joining us today she is my co-host and a two-time wnba champion the co-owner of the atlanta dream renee montgomery renee how are you i'm good it was all a dream what's up we ain't here let's go she is a producer on this podcast and many others in the crooked family of podcasts she speaks spanish and french She's Caroline Rested. Rest in peace, Caroline. How are you? Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I don't know why, but I felt very compelled to answer as Renee when you're like owner of the Atlanta Dream. I was like, well, hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here. I have something to say. Let's go! Coming to us live from the COVID protocol isolation (laughs) suite. He is also a producer on this podcast, also a producer on many other podcasts and video series in the Crooked Family Network. He is... Elijah Cohn. Elijah, how are you? Jason, I'm good. I'm ready to bring the energy, and today I'm just going to be myself. (laughs) He is an intern making his Take Survivor debut. Jeff Graham. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. What's up, everybody? Let's get it. Yes. (laughs) Oh, smooth. Okay. (laughs) Energy. Sliding in like velvet. Okay. You all know the rules. Three rounds three prompts our contestants will give their takes everyone on this zoom call will then vote on which of those takes is the weakest and thus ejected from the island until we get to our finals in which case our jury will vote on the strongest take are we ready to go yeah i'm right (laughs) (laughs) prompt number one space jam 2 made its debut last week is space jam 2 a good movie. Let's start with you from the COVID isolation suite. Elijah. <laughs> Elijah, how are you? I'm good. And Jason, Space Jam 2 is not a good movie. It's a bad movie. But the good-bad dichotomy is beside the point. What's important is that Space Jam 2 was a disappointing movie. And if I could point to one thing in particular, it was how they did the NBA players. In the first one, we got these great cameos with Charles Barkley, Muggsy Bogues, a whole B-plot where they suck. They're going to therapy. They get their talent back at the end of the game. Then here we get just a couple guys, a couple, couple women in one scene. They get scanned into a phone, and then that's it. Goodbye, CGI versions of you. And we don't really hear from you from the rest of the movie. I was disappointed from a franchise that I love. Uh, Elijah, wow. disappointed. In Space Jam 2, he's been waiting years for it to come out and waiting with bated breath. 
on Christmas morning, and he is disappointed that uh, that uh, Anthony Davis had just a more pronounced brow. That was like the thing. Okay, Jeff. <laughs> now to you, Space Jam Two. Is it a good movie? I personally think Space Jam was not a good movie. I also felt like it was a little unnecessary. I think that Space Jam was originally a movie that uh, highlighted just the successes of Michael Jordan, just kind of his stardom. And I think bringing LeBron James into it kind of just makes it a LeBron replacing Michael Jordan thing. And that's not really where we're going in terms of like where basketball is going right now. So uh, you were not you were not moved by the fact that Michael Jordan is in this movie. Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. I'm talking about Michael B. Jordan. Okay. Wow, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, so uh, one more question quickly, Jeff. Uh, MJ or LeBron, who's the GOAT? MJ. Okay, MJ over LeBron. Caroline, rest in, rest in peace. Is Space Jam 2 a good movie? Okay, can I be honest? Can I be honest? No, lie to me. Lie to me. Haven't seen, haven't seen it, haven't seen it. Read the Wikipedia pages of both movies. Now it. let me tell you, I feel like I feel like that's enough. But from reading this Wikipedia entry, what I was really drawn to was the central hashtag boy dad storyline between LeBron and his son. And I am a sucker for a nerdy kid who goes against the patriarchal values of his father who's trying to push this agenda on him. And after a series of zany misadventures, the father realizes the error of his ways and accepts his son for who he is. I love it. I love it. I love Lola Bunny's post me to look too. Love it. I loved it. Okay. You know what? Caroline loves that LeBron took his son to the E3 developers camp to learn to become a video game developer. Exactly all of that. Two-time champ, Renee, is Space Jam 2 a good movie? Okay, so I'm going to answer it as in, yes, of course, they made 13.1 million opening night. 32 million on the opening weekend, which was the most for Warner during this pandemic. But I have to preface this. Fast and Furious, there's nine of those. Everyone doesn't consider every single one a good movie, but they were all successful movies in the box office, which equates to good movies to investors. And that's how more gets made. So to answer your question simply, is Space Jam 2 a good movie? Yeah, it made some money and that's all you're trying to do here. So you're... We have our answers. Let's go to the voting, folks. The voting starts now. Who will it be ejected from the island first? Uh, will it be uh, Renee, who says Space Jam 2 got that bag? 13.1 million uh, opening night, 32 million weekend. Uh, that's cash money, and that's pretty good for a Warner Brothers commercial. Will it be Caroline, who says, hashtag boy dad, I didn't see the movie, but I know... <laughs> I know all about the love that a parent has for their child and the respect that goes both ways, and that's important to me. Or will it be Jeff who says this is unnecessary? Anything that MJ did should never be replicated, repeated, or improved upon. That's it. LeBron, how dare you? Michael B. Jordan, get out of my movie. Or will it be Elijah who says bad movie? I was disappointed. He cried when Davy Lillard showed up as like the Tin Man or, or whatever that was. <laughs> and and that's what he thinks. Let's go to the voting now. Let's see what the voting is telling us. Uh, the votes are coming in now. Oh, I can't wait to see what this is. And uh, I'll just put my two cents in there. Uh, no one needs to have an opinion about like Thomas the Train Engine or Blue's Clues or Sesame Street. This is a kid's movie. It's a movie for kids. Kids don't care. Kids just like shit with a lot of colors and people that they know in the movie. That's all I care about. It's not for you. Here come the votes. We have one vote for Renee. We have one vote <laughs> for Caroline. And I'll save you the I'll save you the, the suspense and four straight other votes for Caroline. Okay, Caroline <laughs> voted for me. That tells me, wow, Caroline, you voted for me. <laughs> this is my confessional, Renee. What the fuck, you guys? I literally prep and plan for this. So now I'm just well, annoyed yeah, by the 30 and minutes. Except, you mean except for seeing the movie, right? Yeah. Like, that's, <laughs> she wikied it. Come on. 
I don't want to contribute to Warner Brothers growing wealth or LeBron's, okay? I don't want to see this fucking movie. I saw the trailer. That's enough. My God. Stop voting for me. <laughs> like she, like it was like filmed by like a fucking Mohammed bin Salman in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> it was a Warner Brothers film. Okay. Number two. <laughs> Caroline is gone. <laughs> I expect to hear uh, to get some heat from the Caroline stands on social media Woo! this week, but it was not my fault this time. Okay. <laughs> Prompt number two. Delta variant on the rise, folks. Our own Elijah it currently in COVID protocols because of an exposure. <laughs> we got to get people vaccinated. Giving them money to do it doesn't seem to be working. How can we do it. How can we get people to get the vaccine? Jeff, let's start with you. How do we get people to take the vaccine? I'm going to say up the price. I, love I it. really don't have much else with that. Just up the, up the price. Oh, come on, Let Jeff. Them... You better tell us why. And I, give us something. I don't, I don't have. I don't know. I think, you know, people will see the risk. You voted me <laughs> off for the... this? <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Graham saying, listen, let the market do its work. We are a capitalist country. This is a capitalist <laughs> globe. Uh, the, the invisible hand of Adam Smith says, up that price, pay me more money, and I will get that shot in my arm. Let's move on to Renee, the two-time. Renee, how do we get people to take the vaccine? Okay, so some wise men once said they will do anything for clout. So having understood that, give you give people a verified check on social media wow. plus a bonus 10,000 wow. followers on social media. I guarantee if you start having influencers and celebs and athletes promoting this deal, hey, we're not only going to give you a little bit of cash, but we're going to verify your accounts on all socials and we're going to give you a bonus 10k followership pack. Okay, come on. Who's not signing up for that? I'm saying I love it. Do it for the clout. Do it for the TikTok. Name, image, and likeness, baby. Do it for the Instagram views. Do it for the retweets. Do it for the duet with uh, Charlie D'Amelio. Renee says, clout. Elijah, this is uh, how do we get people to take the vaccine, Elijah? Um, I'm going to shine the light on us and say that we need to stop asking questions like this. It's a hopelessly complicated and complex uh, issue. There are many groups uh, like with people with certain political identities, people from certain communities who have been treated badly uh, in the in America's medical practices. Each one needs its own unique approach and also more money. So Elijah saying, listen, it's complicated. And I got, I got to tell you, and I don't have an I, answer. <laughs> there's nothing that I love hearing uh, today in today's modern world with all the problems we face that, listen, it's complicated. Yes. No shit. Thank you very much, Dr. Fauci. <laughs> and he also says, give him more money. Let's go to the voting. Go to the voting now. Who will it be? Will it be Renee who says, listen, we're, we've given him money. What about clout? What about what about recognition? What about the spotlight? That thing that every American craves. We love the attention. We love the clout. We love the engagement. How, help people build their personal brand. What about clout? Will it be Jeff who says, listen, it's simple. Adam Smith figured it out 200 years ago. Pay people more money to do stuff. Up the price. Raise the salary. What about the benefits? What else? Or will it be Elijah who says, uh, yada, 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 yada. It's a complicated world. There's a lot of factors, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of groups. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's just very complicated. I'm going to say that several times over my 30 seconds rather than give any kind of answer that could try and sum it up. Also give people more money. Copying Jeff. Who will be voted out next? Here come the votes. And also Caroline, Caroline continuing her tirade in the chat. Noting that this is lame AF. Ah! Here come the votes. <laughs> we have our first take survivor abstention. 
<laughs> like this is a very tough vote in, on the floor of Congress. We have our first abstention and five votes in a what I think this shocking results today. Five votes for Jeff Graham in his inaugural run in Take Survivor. He goes out in the semifinals round. Jeff, what do you have to say? Honestly, I, I feel like I did. I competed pretty well today. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, both both teams played hard. Jeff, thank you for your participation, oh, and we go to the finals, folks. You know what it is. It's the finals. In the finals, the jury will vote for the person they think should win. The take that they think should win. Take Survivor. That's the. It's a showdown for the ages. <laughs> Renee. Versus Elijah. And here is our question. Who should we send to space on a one-way ticket next? Who should go to space and just see what's out there? And if they can figure out a way to come back, good for them. But it's a one-way ticket, folks. Just enough fuel to get to the moon or whatever. Elijah, who should we send to space on a one-way ticket? Uh, Jason, I'm going to say me. Uh, it's a win-win because if I win Take Survivor, that means I win Take Survivor. I get to go to space. I get to have an experience that basically very few humans have had, and I win the game. And if I lose, it means that the crew and you guys love me so much that you didn't want to send me on a one-way ticket to space, and I'll be reaffirmed either way. So what? thank you, me. I should go. Elijah, heads I win, tails you lose. I want to go to space. Elijah, what do you love about space the most? Uh, the mystery. <laughs> okay. Genuine answer. Okay. Renee Montgomery, who should we send to space? Yeah, I think we should send Addison Ray to space. I'm sticking wow. with, <laughs> I'm sticking with the influencer idea. Look, he just said my my compo- my competitor just said that it's a mystery. You send a TikToker to space. We're going to know everything going on there. We're going to have TikToks from Mars, Jupiter. We're going to have stuff all over. They're going to set up shop. They're going to be doing little dances on Uranus. I mean, there's going to be a lot <laughs> happening out there. Send a TikToker. Let them send their ring light with them and set up shop for their phone. And we're going to see everything. It will no longer be a no. Uh, in, uh, Renee Montgomery says, Addison Ray, let's send a TikToker influencer to space. Me personally, I think uh, Addison Ray wouldn't know what to do up in space if we didn't send a black TikToker first. Uh, but that Ooh. be that here or there, let's Ooh. go to the voting now. Ooh. You're voting on our winner. <laughs> Who is the winner of this edition of Take Survivor? Is it Renee Montgomery, the two-time? Who says? Send Addison Ray. Send it. Send it. In, send a TikTok star up to space. Let's get those. Let's get those dances off. Let's get those duets on the surface of Mars, Red Rocks, all of that. Or Will it be Elijah Cohn who just says simply, I love space, baby. I love the mystery. I love that we don't know what's out there. I love that we can, uh, we barely understand anything up there. I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't know what's there. Send me now. Votes coming in. Who will be the champion? Very, very exciting. And once again, a reminder, you are voting for our winner today. You are voting for our winner and the final question, who should we send to space on a one-way ticket? Jeff Bezos, he loves space. Elon Musk, he loves space. Billionaires, they've, they've, they're nearing the end of, of uh, their importance to uh, the Earth and the Earth's importance to them. You can tell because they're thinking about leaving this planet before it's fully cashed out. Votes coming in now, and we have one vote for Elijah. One vote for Renee. Yes. One more vote for Renee. Ugh. And two more votes for Renee Montgomery. Wow. Our winner, your Let's winner go! of Take Survivor. Renee, what do you have to say? You know, I have to say that the thing about it is, Jeff, we know it was your first time. You just have to say why. Explaining your point is just as good as your point. Elijah had no idea why he wanted to go to space. 
I know that we send a TikToker to space and we're going to see a lot of things happen and do anything for clout. Shouts to my guys. We on. We back, baby. Space Jam 2 is a good movie. Ha ha. <laughs> that was really fun. Well, that was a fantastic edition of Take Survivor. Congratulations to Renee, our champion. Congratulations to all our contestants. Congratulations to Caroline, who I agree, I think got jobbed. But I was not one of the jury pool she's staring daggers at everyone right now on the camera. Sorry, Caroline. See you next time. <laughs> Goodbye, that is it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out, folks. See you next week. Let's go! Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Carlton Gillespie and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Our contributing producers are Caroline Reston, Elijah Cohn, and Jason Gallagher. Engineering, editing, and sound design by Sarah Gibble-Laska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 